know what choice lies in front of them. The last bit of the sermon is full of warning, actually. It was a warning, for example, not to choose the easy road. A warning to recognize everybody who ever hears about Jesus is confronted with a choice that they can't avoid, whether to follow him on the narrow path through the narrow gate or to go their own way, a way that's easier, a way that's broader and full of people, but that ends in destruction. Last week he warned us against false prophets. Be careful as you evaluate the kingdom, who it is you're listening to, who it is you're following, because not everyone who claims to be with and for Jesus actually speaks for him. And this morning, he builds on that theme of warning. As he presents us with this choice of what to do with his words, he gives us this morning what I think is one of the strongest and most terrifying warnings anywhere in the Bible. If last week the warning was to beware false prophets, this morning, as one has put it, is a warning to beware false peace. Here's what Jesus has in mind. Please listen. Jesus has envisioned a day that is spoken of all throughout the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament. A day of judgment. A day when every person who has ever lived will stand before their maker and give an account for who they've been, for what they've done, They will stand before Him not as part of some group. Not as simply a number in a set. They will stand before Him as a person with a name. With a history known to God. Of deeds and affections. Even of their heart's desires. Every one of them seen by Him. Each one of us in this room this morning will stand before God on that day. And what Jesus says in this passage is that many on that day will believe that they belong to Jesus. That they're with Him. But when they stand before that judgment seat, they will be told that they aren't. It won't be a few people that this happens to. It'll be a common experience. Jesus says many will be turned away on that day. Think of it. That statement, Jesus' passage this morning, raises for us a critical question that every single one of us has to answer. Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? And how can I know that I will enter the kingdom of heaven? Now I want to read Jesus' warning to us this morning. We're going to walk through it carefully, piece by piece. And then we're going to finish with that question. How can we know that we will be known by Jesus on that day? I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word while I read from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. This is the word of the Lord. 
to us. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is God's word. You can be seated. Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? That's the question Jesus has put in front of us. It's a question he's answering. We want to track with his answer in a couple of steps. You can follow along in your worship guide. If you've got one of those, flip, there's a panel there that has the steps we're going to take this morning and where you can find those in the text. Here's the first step. Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, to answer that question, you need to know that it's not just what you say that matters, but what you do. It's not just what you say that matters, but but what you do. It comes out in verse 21 really clearly. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's important to confess that Jesus is Lord, right? Jesus isn't saying you shouldn't say that. I mean, it's, it's crucial to say that Jesus is Lord. Being interested in Jesus certainly isn't enough. It isn't enough just to have a kind of admiration for him, the kinds of things that he said, the fervency of his faith, the kinds of things that he did, the love that he showed to people. It isn't enough just to be interested in him or to even to admire him. We have to pledge allegiance to him. No one will ever enter the kingdom who doesn't submit to the king. That's what that Lord, Lord designation means. It's, it's master. It's king. Jesus isn't disputing it's important to have the right idea about who he is and to confess it. Someone who says, Lord, Lord, at least has the right idea about who Jesus is. Not an interesting teacher. Not a great man. But a king. What Jesus is saying is not that we shouldn't say, Lord, Lord, to him. He's saying that right ideas and right words about him aren't enough. There's no magic password that gets you into the kingdom. It's not just what you say that matters. It's what you do. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but who will? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who do the will of the Father. Now, this makes sense if you think about it, doesn't it? Calling somebody Lord is to call them master. It's to profess an allegiance for them. It's it's built into that term is a desire to obey them. But if you say it, if you say, Lord, Lord, and then it has no effect on your life, if it's just words, then it's not something you really believe, is it? You don't really believe that he is Lord. Earlier this week, I was on the phone with a buddy. He was at his work, and there was a fire alarm going off. could hear everybody buzzing around in the background talking about it. It was heard by everybody in that facility. But who were the ones who believed it? Only the ones who actually got out of Dodge, right? Who found the exits, avoided the elevators, ran for the door. 
They were the ones who believed it was a fire alarm. Everyone calls it a fire alarm. What's that sound? Oh, that's a fire alarm. That's its name. But if you're not taking any action, you don't really believe it's a fire alarm. You don't believe there's actually a fire. Those are just words, right? Those who truly believed it was an alarm of those who responded to it, not those... So to connect that to Jesus. It's not those who say Lord that really believe he's Lord. It's just a designation, just empty. It's like a fire alarm that you know isn't for real. It's those who actually bring him into their life, into the decisions that they make about what's best, about what they want to do and who they want to be, about how they treat one another and what they aim for. Only those who are bringing Jesus in as a kind of master, who have an allegiance to him and the twists and turns of what each day brings, only those people really think that he is Lord. Otherwise, it's just empty words. So friends, the first warning here is to those of us who may have made a statement of commitment to Jesus. Maybe you prayed a prayer with a friend who told you that this prayer was the way that you accept Jesus. But maybe you've done little to follow him since then. Haven't considered him in the major decisions of your life. Hasn't had any effect on the kinds of things you're seeking. On what you're willing to do. On what you hold back from doing. If your connection to Jesus is a statement that you made at one time. A prayer that you prayed at at one time. But not a living and active guide and friend every day, then Jesus' warning is for you. You may be among those who will say on that day, Lord, Lord, but hear from Jesus, I never knew you. It isn't just what you say that matters, but what you do. The kingdom of heaven will be entered only by those who do the will of the Father who is in heaven. That's Jesus' first point. But there's more. It's not just what you do that matters, but whom you know. It's not just what you do that matters, but but whom you know. This is where Jesus goes in verses 22 and 23. You stop at verse 21, and you could easily say, see, no need to worry about doctrine. We shouldn't spend so much time thinking about getting our ideas right. We need to focus on doing. Jesus says, it's not just those who have the right ideas about me. It's those who actually get out and get their hands dirty. The kingdom belongs to those who do. And then the response could be, let's just go do, right? Let's just go hunker down, let's roll up our sleeves, and let's do. But it's not so simple. Action is essential, but even action is nothing apart from a very specific kind of knowledge. Look what Jesus says, look at verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? On that day, many people will hear Jesus say, what matters is not what you say, it's whether you do the will of my Father in heaven. And their response is going to be, well, look at what we did. They're going to hold up their resume. Prophecy, check. Exorcisms, check. Mighty miracles, check. These were the sorts of things that were happening when Jesus was on earth. His disciples were going out from him, doing this sort of stuff. Um, all, All around, all around Galilee and Judea tempting to get into the question of whether these things should still be here today. I think that would be to go beyond what Jesus is trying to say here. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go there. I'm simply going to say that 
that what Jesus is trying to say, what he's trying to point to, are these categories that people of that time would have seen as the most visible evidence of God's power and favor in their lives. Look at these big, noticeable, flashy, eye-catching things that we've done. How can you deny that someone who does these things is doing the will of the Father in heaven? How else could they do them? What Jesus is saying is that these big and powerful and visible and obvious works done in his name are not what it takes to get into the kingdom. Many people are going to point on that day to all that they've done. They're going to fully and genuinely believe that they're with Jesus. They're going to hold up that list of accomplishments to him. Jesus is going to look at that list. He's going to size up their lives. He's going to stamp across that list lawlessness. What he's telling us here, friends, is that it's going to, it, it, it would be pointless of us to hear what he says in verse 21. It doesn't matter what you say, it matters what you do. Not, not just what you say, it also matters what you do. It would be pointless of us to hear what he says in verse 21 and go out and try to make sure we enter heaven by doing a bunch of good things. That's the wrong way to hear Jesus' warning. And he's making sure that you get that in verses 22 and 23. It is not just about what you do. You can't take this bull by the horns and micromanage your own entry into the kingdom of heaven. What matters isn't just what you say, but it isn't just what you do either. You pull this thread all the way to the end, from verse 21 all the way to 23, and you'll see what really matters, what matters most. Jesus says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You put that positively, and you have the answer to our question. Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Those who know Jesus. Even more, those who are known by Jesus. Yes, it's those who profess that he is Lord. Have to submit to him. Yes, it will be those who have done the will of his Father. But in the final analysis, when you boil it all down, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who know Jesus. And it's not just any sort of knowledge. It is relational knowledge. It is friendship. It's a discriminating and personal knowledge. It's the knowledge that a a farmer has for the shape and the health of his land. It's the knowledge that a virtuoso has for his Stradivarius. It's the knowledge that a mother has for the sound of her baby's cry. It's the knowledge that God had for his people Israel. Some people will have plenty of actions they can point to but no personal relationship with Jesus. And on that day, they will hear him say, depart, I never knew you. So, how can I make sure that Jesus knows me? That's the That's the question, right? That's everything. How can I make sure that Jesus knows me? I've got my answer to who's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
It's those who are known by Jesus. The reason some people will be turned away despite what they say and despite what they've done is that they never knew Him. How can I make sure that I do know Him? The first thing I need to say before going any further is that Jesus actually doesn't try to answer that question here. My little truth in advertising. Jesus isn't going there. He's merely trying to warn us. He wants to wake us up. He wants us to to be set up for what he's going to say in the passage that's coming next week. To try to appeal to us to follow him now, to build our house now on a rock so that it won't crumble when the storms come. He's going he's to urge us to build our house on the rock of his teaching and his life and his death and his resurrection and everything that's about to follow through the Gospel of Matthew from this point forward. That's what he's trying to set up. But we've heard his word today. We've been invited by his word to think about ourselves today. We don't have time for the whole book of Matthew this morning. We need to know. The question is, is, is huge. How can I know that I am not going to be turned away? How can I respond well to what Jesus has said here and avoid living in fear? I want to point you to two things. Here I'm pulling from the sweep of the Bible. Not just from what Jesus says in Matthew, but from what the Bible says consistently throughout. Here's the first thing I think you can do. If you want to know that you know Jesus, I think you should look at your life for evidence. You should look at your life for evidence. That's a good thing to do. Jesus is warning us against a false peace, a peace that, that we shouldn't have, a kind of self-deception. And one weapon against self-deception, no matter, no matter what it is, no matter where the, where the deception shows up in your life, no matter what the presenting case is, one great weapon against self-deception is self-examination, is actually paying close attention to the things that you might have assumed things that you might have grown complacent in or stopped paying attention to. So it's important to look at our lives and see if we're bearing fruit. Jesus has used that kind of language and he does so many other places as well. What kind of fruit is the tree of our life producing? Is it good fruit or bad fruit? In that fruit, we have a sign of where we are with Christ. Does our fruit reflect the priorities of Jesus? So what, short, what sort of fruit should we be looking for? What should, be, what should we be examining our lives to try to find? I think what Jesus is warning us against here is overemphasizing, overvaluing the kind of big and obvious things, you know? Don't take too much comfort in all the exorcisms you're performing, in other words. Or the fact that you've volunteered at the rescue mission twice a week for five years, or taught Sunday school for ten Gave X number of dollars last year or some such. Some sort of clear, visible, obvious thing. Those sorts of good works can be a security blanket for us that makes us feel better about ourselves while covering up our true condition, while actually hiding from from us, from our view, where our hearts really are. Not that they aren't good to do, it's that they can be dangerous. Jesus is warning us against looking there. What should we look for? I think the priorities of Jesus' sermon are the best place to start. For seven months together, we've been looking at the things that matter to Jesus. We've been going 
section by section through his sermon, the longest part of his teaching that's ever been recorded. And we've been seeing really clearly what it is that matters to Jesus, the kind of fruit that'll show up in his kingdom. So we can start there. And if we start there, what we see is that what really matters is the instincts of your heart. One of the things you want to pay most attention to are the instincts with which you interact with the world. That's where you'll start to see the effects of Jesus and his relationship to you showing up. You know what it is to get into a relationship with someone whom you deeply love and you start to take on their loves sometimes. You start to share their interests. You are changed by your love for them, by your relationship. When, when we know Jesus, when we have that kind of personal knowledge that's going to mean entry into the kingdom of heaven, we'll start to take on a kind of instinctive love for the things that he loves. So if you really want to see, examine your heart and how it's reacting to the things that are happening to you. The fruit that comes in the life of somebody who knows Jesus isn't the sort of fruit that can be tacked onto a cold heart. It's not the kind that you can, that you can gin up through willpower. The kind of obedience that matters shows personal knowledge of him. A heart that treasures him above all others. Remember Matthew 6? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. As you interact with the things that are going on in your life, what does your heart treasure? That's, that's what you should be examining. Where does Jesus fit into that? Now, we can take this even one level further. Just by, just by pulling from the Sermon on the Mount, we can see where our hearts, affections, and instincts are being reshaped. We can see that best if we look at how our hearts respond to other people. If we look at how we're engaging in relationships, the Sermon on the Mount was full of relational talk, of things that don't make sense apart from other people. Think about how many of Jesus' priorities were relational. He values humility that leads to meekness, that isn't, of, that isn't defensive or easily offended. Remember that from the Beatitudes? He values mercy toward the flawed. He values peace in conflict. He values grace and restraint over anger. He values love over lust. He values truth-telling that respects others rather than protecting yourself. He values non-retaliation and even love for enemies. These are all heart responses to people in your life. If you want to know whether you know Jesus, then one of the places to start is examining how you're responding in your heart to the people who are in your life. Because Jesus was known as the friend of sinners who was full of grace and peace. And we will be too if we know him. Kind of reminds me of what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul started there with a really similar shot across the bow of people who were, who were really into their big resume building good works. Paul started in 1 Corinthians 13 by saying, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, Who cares? prophesy if I do mighty things this whole laundry list of things that people would point to and say yeah that's the super spiritual guy that I want to be more like and what does Paul say after he runs through his list he says if I have not love I'm nothing nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal And love, the kind of love he had in mind, is the kind that doesn't keep record of wrongs. It's patient and kind. A kind of love that really unpacks the Sermon on the Mount and its priorities. How does your heart respond to people? 
kind of goodness Jesus has called for all through this sermon is not the kind that you can force. It's the kind that has to be rooted in the heart and in what it loves and in what it trusts. You can't hear that only those who obey will enter the kingdom of heaven and then go try to obey by your force of will. You have to have your character transformed. The fruit comes from the tree. To have good fruit, you've got to be a good tree. How does that happen? How does it happen that a bad tree producing rotten fruit, like my life, turns into a good tree that produces good fruit? Let me come at it from another angle. Let's say, let's say you've taken me up on this challenge to self-examination and you started to get real particular about how you're relating to other people. You start paying really close attention to the normal instincts of your heart. And you realize, if you're honest, you've got plenty of reasons still to be concerned. And the reality is all of us are going to always be mixed bags. And the Apostle Paul was among the most faithful Christians ever. And near the end of his life, he called himself the chief of sinners. So what if I'm looking for obedience or fruit in my life and what I see is a lot of sin? What then? So we've asked the question, how can I know that I know Jesus? Part of the answer is to look at your life to examine yourself, especially your heart and its responses, to see if there are marks that you know him and relate to people like he would. But we have to go further. The second way we make sure we know Jesus and the way that's always available to us, that's offered to us as a source of undying hope even when our examination of ourselves leaves us with no, no reason to expect we're with him. The second way we make sure we're with Jesus, to make sure we know him, is we look to him. We look not just at our lives for evidence, but we look to Jesus for his friendship and his mercy and the promises of all that he's done for anyone who comes. We look to Jesus if we want to make sure we know Him because it's more important, friends, it's more important that you know Him now than whether or not you knew Him yesterday. If, if you've just been rocked by this warning, if you think maybe I'm the one Jesus has been talking about here, if you're wondering now, if you're kind of gripped with this angst over whether or not you've been a Christian all this time that you thought you were, I think it's worthwhile to consider your life and to evaluate it. I've said that already, but here's the most important thing you need to do with your anxiety. You need to take it to Jesus, to the one who offered rest to all who will come, lay down their burdens at his feet and take up his yoke. What matters more than whether you knew him yesterday or last year or when you were six years old and you first believed, what matters more than anything about your past is whether you believe him today. Here's the way one of my favorite theologians puts it. This is from Michael Horton. Sometimes he, uh, 
he's responding to the fact that sometimes, at some point, we get to the place where looking at ourselves is dangerous. It's important to do, but you do get to a point where, where looking at yourself is dangerous. And here's where Horton puts that. He says, if we focus on our experience rather than on Christ, on what we see rather than what we hear, then instead of drawing us out of ourselves in faith, our experience will drive us deeper into ourselves in alternating moods of self-trust and despair. In other words, if we get so deep into our self-examination that we lose sight of the one who's beyond us, who's objective, outside of us, working for us, things we can't work on our own, if we lose sight of him, because we're so buried in our own experience, then either one of two things is going to happen, neither of which are good for any of us. We're either going to be really proud, trust ourselves and like what we see, or we're going to be really desperate. We're going to be shamed, despairing of any hope. Neither of those things are where we want to be, right? If we want to make sure that we're making progress towards Jesus rather than just burying ourselves more deeply in the hole of self-absorption, then we've got to look beyond ourselves at some point and think about Jesus and what's always true about him. His work is finished. He lived the life every one of us were supposed to live. He never did anything except what was the will of his Father. That means he was the one person who ever lived who didn't deserve to die. But John 10 tells us that he laid down his life of his own will. No one forced him to do it. No one took his life from him. He gave it as a present because since he didn't deserve to die, he could die for those who do deserve it. And the gospel tells us that Jesus, though he was really dead, is alive now and always will be. And in his living active pleading for us we have the promise that no matter what we might find when we examine ourselves we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous and he has promised us that everyone who comes to him he will receive and no one who comes to him will ever be cast out If you want to know that you know Jesus and your self-examination has got you down, then that's the time to look to Him. And friends, ultimately, what the Bible says about fruit is that it comes from a heart that's motivated by love, not one that's motivated by pride or fear or guilt or shame. So if you look to Jesus... If you medicate your heart and its fears and failures with the truth that's always there and always true about him and what he's done, then over time that is going to create in you, in your heart, where you have no control, it is going to create in you a love and a trust that will drive you, will fuel you in your obedience to the Father's will. Obedience is always rooted in the heart in this sermon. 
you tack on some works in public in the name of Jesus just because you carve out time and are willing to put in the effort and you've done nothing that matters to him. It still won't be enough. The works that matter are always motivated by trust and love. And where do you get trust and love if not from looking to Jesus? Father, we look to you now. We've heard your word. We believe that it's true. We stand under it, submitting to it. And we know from it that many people who claim to know what we know will be told one day that we've never known Jesus. We don't want to be in that number. We don't want our friends or our families to be in that number. We don't want anyone in that number. So we pray to you that Jesus would know us. Know us with the distinctiveness and intimacy. And a shepherd knows his sheep. Pray that our names would be be written in his wounds. We pray that you would protect us from everything in us that would deceive us. We are so easily deceived. Help us this morning to see the truth and through the truth to look to Jesus for life. We pray in his name. Amen.